Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Court of Books and Booze, our basement book club. I am Skylar, also known as the Skywalker, and with me today are my amazing, awesome, lovely co-hosts, <laughs> Jessica and Amanda. He did tell me yesterday that he wanted to mix this up a bit today. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so we just added more nice things. So I guess I that's more what nice that means. Things. I appreciate that. I had something in mind yesterday, but I can't, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. You'll think of it halfway through and just, wait, stop. I got it. We got to restart this whole episode. <laughs> it's not like we haven't done it before. Jeez. That was one time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> one time. How are you guys doing? I'm beat, man. I'm tired. It's been a while. Yeah few days prepping for the fourth of july you know it's just been a lot how has your week been sky you know it's it was a it was an okay week we're fresh off our visit to see eden last weekend which was uh the first week of february and i had a great time he was amazing i can't stop thinking about it listening to him so been a weird time skip <laughs> <laughs> you're back in february i'm planning for the fourth i don't know what's going on podcasting's weird either way that concert was very good very good what do you think amanda since you didn't know who it was before we went no i was just i was there for for the party um, it was very crowded. The venue was awesome. Mm-hmm. I had never been there before. The House of Blues in Chicago. Um, really cool though. The food because we ate downstairs at the restaurant first. The food was very good. The drinks were very good. But the show, he was phenomenal live. Honestly, for especially for not knowing who he was because I didn't know any of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially like I heard, had listened to a couple songs going in, um, but didn't really know him prior to that. But he was really, really good live. What I did not like was the sandwich <laughs> that I became. That she ate <laughs> for dinner. That brisket was so good. <laughs> if you ever go, get the brisket. But the sandwich that I became in between the tallest humans. <laughs> and then there was this couple in front of me that I said multiple times that I was just right in the middle. I might as well have been the third person in their thrubble. relationship. Because I was experiencing everything along with them <laughs> so i felt like i should just put my arms around him we were that close so it was fine um two people passed out in the crowd they had to stop the show whatever <laughs> i'd only seen that happen on tiktoks but now i can say i was there for a couple of them whatever but <coughs> it was it was fun we got out of there a lot easier than i thought we would too Granted, we didn't stay for the encore, but I thought it was going to take a lot longer to get our car through and everything. But they were they were top notch. So yeah, it was a good time. It was a real good time. Yeah. Now, back to the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, I I had a pretty good, pretty decent week. Other than I got very um, sick last night and just out of nowhere. You just had like a like a twenty four hour cold or something like that. You just got a, a minor fever for 
just a few hours and then after that slept and sweated it out and jumped back up this morning just fine that's weird yeah sweat out 10 pounds last night i swear it was horrifying (laughs) (laughs) that's gross (laughs) yeah it Mm. feels better so well, I woke up last night. It was like 1, one thirty or something like that. And I went to the bathroom. And then I go to shut off the light and I open the door. And Nick's just standing there in the hallway. <laughs> oh, no. And I jumped and screamed. I kid you not. And I couldn't fall asleep for another two hours after that. Oh, no. And he's just standing there and his eyes are like half closed. And he's like, what? <laughs> I was just like, what do you mean what? And he's like, I'm going to get some water. I was like, okay. <laughs> Teach your husband to have some bedside water, man. And then, yeah, right, right. I always, always have a glass next to me, but oh no, it can't be room temp. I sounds know. like he needs a good water bottle that'll keep it cold all night. You know what? Christmas is just around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> good idea. Good idea. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Oh, you know when that uh, this episode comes is, out, I'm going to remember. You like, know hey. what? It's Gunner's birthday. We should gift it to Nick. <laughs> you know what? Nick does have those weird gifts. I mean, that would maybe he'll actually have a good one for Gunner. Who knows? Gunner, let us know. What did Nick get you for your birthday today? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a bag full of corn or something because it seems to be his go-to. So, no, last. What? I think it was some guy named Joe that he works with. It was his birthday a couple months ago, and he literally took a Victoria's Secret bag, because I had just gone to Victoria's Secret. Literally, I had put it in the recycling bin. He took it out of the recycling bin, and he turned it into Victoria's Secret <laughs> on the bag, and it was, guys, it was phenomenal. Like, I didn't even... It could have been, like, printed font on this bag. It was so clean and crisp. We didn't even get a snap of this. It was, man, it was all over the place. And then he had just put all kinds of just random stuff from our cupboard in there. But, so he walks into, can you imagine walking into work with this Victoria's Secret bag? Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret. (laughs) I mean, they're not hard to spot, the pink little bags. So I was like, okay, man. That's and, phenomenal. And he's like, I know. I really should put it in another bag so people don't think I'm just walking in with this pink bag. It's like, you know what? Just own it. People know you're weird. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it it did. It, All right. When he, when he wrote it in, it was clean and crisp. It could have been printed on there. It was bizarre. Dude's got a knack for font. Something. <laughs> something. He, he is really good at art. I'll give him that. So... That's hilarious. But he does stuff like that all the time. So, Gunner, seriously, email us. Let us know. (laughs) Happy birthday. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, that was a great story. I've got a couple good stories. So, (laughs) it was an interesting week. And together, we are going to summarize the current book that we've all been separately reading and dive into a discussion on all the questions and hypotheses, if there are any. Are you saying hypotheses if there are any because we've all seen these movies of the book that we're discussing? That is exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. Exactly. 
So uh, this week we read Catching Fire, the second book in the Hunger Games series. And uh, yeah. I have some things to say, but Jess, should, you should read your synopsis first. All right. Whoa, 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 whoa. You all right over there? No. What are you drinking tonight, guys? Oh. Got to make sure we do this at the beginning of every episode. I'm boring today. I just have a Seagram's. I guess it's not as boring as just a basic Seagram's bottle. It's the Italian ice, like, summer edition, which is perfect for the summer we're going into right now. <laughs> That's true. It's a very summer drink. Mm-hmm. It's the mango flavor. What is your favorite Seagram? Honestly, the Seagram's Escapes Italian Ice cherry flavor oh, tastes exactly like a cherry, like slushy mm. thing. Not like a slushy, but like a freezy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know the textural difference yeah. between a slushy and the the one that's like soft. Yeah. Sure. You you fucking get what I mean. You know everybody listening knows the difference between a slushy and like a soft slushy. Yeah, a slushy is more a more coarse. Yeah, than your like a, it's like a slushy and an icy. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Different. An icy. Just That's like if, what I meant. Just like water, different brands taste different. Oh, absolutely. I don't care what anyone says, and if you don't think so, you're not drinking enough water. I'm calling you out right now. Skylar, you need to stretch more. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Everybody's it's... getting called out. <laughs> anyway. That's my favorite Seagram's, though, is the cherry one. But I mm. drank all those because they were my favorite. So now I only have mango and then I think blue raspberry left. You know, I don't – I like most of the Seagram flavors. The one I do not like is coconut. The – the um, is it the blue curacao one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not a calypso. Col- I think yeah, I don't called. like coconut anything really, mm-hmm. but I really don't like that one. That's the worst Seagrams. Yeah, Absolutely. I literally, I give that off to whoever will take it. Mm-hmm. Like the variety pack, I don't touch those. With this being our Fourth of July episode, we should have been sitting here drinking Malibu. <laughs> mm. Cue Miley Cyrus. Hey Miley, I know you're listening. So what do you have, Amanda? Smirnoff. Ah. Lemonade. The rival. Uh, cooler. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, but this is what Skylar brought me, so hmm. I took it. There you go. He actually gave me three options, and I chose this one. I'll cut you some slack. But I didn't want to drink your fancy beer because <laughs> I didn't know it's expensive. <laughs> he offered me. I'm just, at, at this point, I'm going to keep some the dude's rug in the fridge and some twisted teas for Amanda. Dude, the dude's rug is so good. That is actually really good, too. So if you want to stock up on those, too. I'll start paying you an allowance. <laughs> <laughs> I am drinking Bee Nectar's Black Fang, and it's a blackberry, clove, and orange mead. Ooh. Pretty good. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Very similar. What's the word I'm looking for? I do not know. Like branding on the front of the can to the dude's rug. It's the same company. Is it okay. the same yeah. company? It's That's what I assumed. Yeah, B Nectar. Reach out. Because this is <laughs> this is the second drink of yours that we've all really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have some I have some dude's rugs in my fridge right now too. Some dude's rugs? Some dude's rugs. <laughs> Just some dude's rugs yeah. in your fridge. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you never know when you might need it. 
but it, but it is though it is my like hey you either had a really bad day and you deserve it or hey let's celebrate <laughs> remind me was that the chai one yeah 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 it's nice. the fancy ale uh, fancy, fancy it ale. better be fancy yeah. <laughs> 20 dollars for a four pack <laughs> special occasion for sure but yeah. just if you had a bad day Damn. <laughs> oh, couldn't help it. But yeah, so it's good stuff though. Good deal. We should have like a new new something of their stuff every episode. Yeah, I'll look up. I'll look them up and see where they're based out of. Maybe we can actually go and visit. See what oh, they have. Sounds like a golden image episode. It does, doesn't it? Ferndale, Michigan. She beat me to it. I just read it on the can. Oh, well, I read it on Michigan. There's a lot of good breweries Mm. up up there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Mm. it is three and a half hours away. It is on the north side of Detroit. We're about 20 minutes from the Canada border. We'll just make and we talked about a weekend in Canada. We did. We were going to we were going to do Easter in Canada, weren't Mm. we? But. We didn't make that. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to uh, do Labor Day. Did I say? <laughs> yeah, funny. for real though, it is. Uh, yeah, right up there. Um, right up there, just just barely south of Troy. Oh yeah, I spent I spent a week in Troy. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, I think it sounds awesome. Yep, it's uh, 15 minutes south of Troy. Hmm. Hmm. It's uh, B-Nectar, going on a trip. B-Nectar Meadery and Tap Room. Meadery. Meadery. It's a cool word. Not meat. Not meadery. 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 Mead. Meat, meatery, <laughs> meatery, and meatery. Oh, they've got some other cool-looking cans. <laughs> I know. We should start collecting. Well, I've got, I, I mean, I've got have. a dude's rug in there on my shelf. <laughs> She's got some in her fridge. Mm-hmm. Somebody told some me I rugs. needed to keep the cans and stuff that we're drinking on the, on the pod. Oh yeah. So we can put them on the shelves when they get built. So the shelves are for the cans, not the books. <laughs> I think by the time we get done, we'll have plenty enough shelf. They're open every day, too. Seven days a week. My March is pretty open. We'll figure we'll figure something out. Or August, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it. We'll just leave Nick with the kids <coughs> on a Saturday morning, and the three of us will go up, and then we'll come back and record an episode. I'm sure he'll, mm. he'll love that. He'd be in heaven. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's get into <laughs> it. Catching fire. Good. All right. All right, so Catching Fire by Suzanne Collins was published in 2009, and its page count is 391. Trigger warnings may include death, murder, child endangerment, alcoholism, war, and rebellion themes. Six months after winning the 74th Hunger Games, Katniss and Peeta have returned home to District 12. 
Prior to Katniss and Peeta's victory tour of the country, President Snow visits Katniss and tells her that her televised acts of defiance in the previous games have inspired rebellion among the districts. Snow demands that Katniss convince the country that she was acting out of love for Peeta, not against the Capitol, or her entire family and best friend Gail will be executed. Katniss reveals this threat to, Cam- uh, to Hamish, but not to Peeta. The tour's first stop is District 11, home of Katniss Hunger Games ally Rue. Peta announces that he will give part of his winnings to the families of Rue and Thrush, and Katniss delivers an impromptu heartfelt speech expressing her gratitude to the fallen tributes. An old man salutes Katniss, joined by the crowd, and to her horror, the old man is immediately executed. Katniss tells Peta of Snow's threat, and they continue the tour as normal. Hoping to placate Snow, Peta proposes to Katniss during a televised interview in the Capitol. Katniss accepts, but Snow is dissatisfied with her performance, leaving her afraid for her family. Returning to District 12, now uh, overrun with harsher peacekeepers to enforce the Capitol's rule, Katniss discovers an uprising has broken out in District 8. Gail is caught poaching and is whipped in the town square until Hamish intervenes. While hunting in the woods, Katniss meets Bonnie and Twill, refugees from District 8, whose uprising has failed. They plan to reach District 13, believed to be destroyed in the first rebellion against the capital, in the hope that the residents are actually underground. Katniss is injured, climbing back over Twelve's now live electric fence. Preparing for her upcoming wedding, Katniss learns that Districts 3 and 4 have also risen up against the capital. The Capitol announces the 75th Hunger Games with a twist. Tributes will be selected from the surviving victors of the previous games. As 12 sole female victor, Katniss realizes she must compete alongside either Hamish or Peeta. Hamish is chosen and is unable to stop Peeta from volunteering in his place. At the Capitol, Hamish encourages Katniss to find allies, but she bonds with the weakest tributes instead. In the televised interview, Katniss stylist Cinna transforms the white wedding gown Snow insists she wear into a black dress of feathers resembling a mockingjay, the symbol of rebellion. Before Katniss is sent into the arena, she watches helplessly as Cinna is beaten and dragged out by peacekeepers. Katniss and Peeta ally themselves with Finnick from District 4 and Mags, his 80-year-old mentor. Peeta is knocked out by the jungle's the jungle arena's force field, and the party later has to flee from a poisonous fog. Mag sacrifices herself to allow Finnick to save Peta. Katniss and Peta ally with Johanna Mason from District 7, and exceptionally smart BT and Wyrus from District 3. Wyrus reveals that the arena is arranged like a clock, and each danger occurring at a fixed time and place for one hour. Wyrus is killed, and in retaliation, Katniss and Joanna kill the District 1 tributes. The remaining members of Katniss' group work on BT's plan to harness lightning to electrocute District 2, who later interfere and disrupt the plan. Katniss uses her bow and arrow to direct the lightning into the force field, destroying it and knocking her unconscious. She then wakes up en route to District 13 with Finnick, BT, and Hamich. She learns from Hamich and Plutarch Heavensby, the head game maker, 
that there has been a secret plan to rescue Katniss, who is now the living symbol of the rebellion. PETA, along with Joanna and District 2 Tribute and Abaria, have been captured by the Capitol. She later learns from Gail. She later learns from Gail that though her family and some other residents have escaped, District 12 has been destroyed. End of book two. All right. What a good book. I enjoyed this book a lot more than I enjoyed the first one. As a person who has watched the movies first. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this book was not as word for word made into the movie. And I feel like we just got a lot more insight into everything that is going on in Katniss's head throughout this book compared to the overall picture that the movie gives you. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I think I like Katniss's character more in the book than I like what was portrayed in the movie, honestly, especially after reading this, this book, because there is a lot more, like you said, insight to what she's feeling, what's going on, how, why she's reacting the way she's reacting to things. And honestly, I like her relationship with PETA a lot more in the book than I do in the movies. Yes. I, it, I think it's portrayed a lot more genuine. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like even in the movie, even though she does have true feelings for him, even if she doesn't know exactly what that is at the beginning of this book, it still feels really forced, forced. to me in the movies, even towards the end. I don't know. I just like it a lot more in the book. I felt like she... Like, genuinely, like, she kept saying over and over in the book, you know, my one goal is to get Pete out alive. Over and over. Like, that's my, that's my that's job That's mantra. Here. Yes. Yeah. Like, he's, he's what I'm doing this for. And I feel like you didn't really see that portrayed. Not, it's kind of hard, though, because, you know, in the book, like, you, you're reading all of her thoughts and things like that. I don't know. I just didn't get that interpreted well into the movies. So, there were a lot of things that I liked better. Now that I've read this. Do you think in the book she has to continually repeat it to herself to convince herself that that's why she's actually still competing in the Hunger Games? It just doesn't, you know, jump in the water and let herself drown at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I, think, I think so, too. Just It's like human nature to do whatever you can to survive, especially when you're put in that type of situation. So... Especially when you've got like these allies that you don't you don't necessarily know because they just won the Hunger Games a year before, but all these other tributes have been friends for years because they they are all victors and so they know each other. So I think like, going in and you're just kind of forced to make these allies with people and Hamage made allies for them essentially. Yeah, and so I think that she does have to keep reminding herself like, hey. Especially, like, with the fog thing, because his foot, or his leg is partially amputated. Yeah. And, she, like, she said, when the fog, it could have been easy for her to just leave him, and she hated herself for even thinking that for a split second. Mm hmm But it could have been easy. It was just, like, initial thought that she had no control right. over at that point. Right. I mean, if I was put in that situation, I mean, I think that I would have to continually tell myself, like, no, every decision that you make has to be for PETA. Everything that you're doing has to be for PETA. Keep PETA alive at all costs. Mm -hmm. Because not only do you have people trying to kill you, there's people trying to kill him, too. Yeah. You know? For sure. 
And then what happens, like, if they, those two would have made it to the end? And then what? Are they just going to be like, okay, yep, you two made it to the end. You two win again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's weird. Because you have to be thinking ahead at that point in time. Mm-hmm. They were doing that with their allies because at some point they knew that the alliance was going to end. Oh, yeah, totally. So Well, and I mean, they do a really good job of actually explaining that throughout this book where she's constantly like, okay, either I have to kill Finnick now or things are going to be a lot harder when I have to kill him towards the end of these games. Yeah. Right. And it, you see this constant struggle that you just don't really get any other forms of media mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where she said like a couple times too, where having an alliance is good as long as you don't think about how you're going to have to kill him later. Yeah. And I mean, we even saw that in the first book with Rue though, where she's like, you know, I'll gladly team up with you now, but at the end of these games, what are we going to do? Right. Yep. But isn't that, it's almost like this like sadistic part of the game, though, because you almost can't survive without help from somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the horrible part of the game is that oh, you yeah. almost have to make a friend, and then at the end, only one of you can live. Like, they put you in this situation and alter these things to where you have to rely on others. Like, there are some things that you just can't do on your own. Absolutely. So it's the worst thing <laughs> and honestly this time when all this came out it was super weird because you had the hunger game series you had the maze runner series which is very similar in a way and mm-hmm. the divergent series all came out around the same time mm-hmm. and it was all about this whole dystopian society yeah like you're in this world and this is how the way things are and you have the superior people who are just controlling and running things however they want because of Something happened in the past. And it was just, I wonder what sparked that interest at that time. Because they all came out very close together. Well, it's the Twilight effect, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, Twilight Twilight hits it big and fast. And then every other book oh, yeah, on the right. market is about sparkly vampires or a fanfic of... Uh, Bella and Edward mm-hmm. that gets turned into a whole nother <laughs> crazy series. Uh, Fifty Shades. Fifty Shades of Grey was originally a fanfic. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me that it was originally a fanfic. I have, I've started, I started reading that at one point in time and was like, no, can't can't do this writing it was not a writing style for me i mean disregarding the content of the book Mm -hmm. the writing style was not for me but can't say i knew that it was inspired Mm -hmm. by a fanfic Mm -hmm. but does not surprise me yeah it was just it's just an interesting time when all these things came out and they're very similar storylines like as a general basis if you look at the outline so but i think that that was kind of part of the whole yeah, let's make this interesting for viewers of let's pull on the heartstrings and make these two people become friends and then at the end watching them devastated as they have to kill somebody or maybe not even affected at all because they just shut everything off. Yeah. Well, and that's what gives, you know, the career districts such a huge advantage in all this, right? Is because they're taught to just be unfeeling. Mm-hmm. Right. Ruthless. Shut it off. 
Yeah. Well, she makes a comment about that, too, in these books, about how much of an advantage she would have if she was taught these things at a younger at a younger age like those districts were. Because mm-hmm. we talked about this in the last episode, that those districts are groomed to know that being in the Hunger Games is an honor. Yeah. Whereas other places, it's completely feared because you're probably not going to come back alive. But she was saying in this book, she made a comment about how they don't go into the coal mines in District 12 until they're 18. Mm -hmm. And by then, they're like in their last year. Is that the last year? Mm -hmm. The last age that they qualify? Totally just green children. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting. Like when you look at that, I mean, not to go too in depth for anything, but when you think about. the early the the early districts compared to like 12 and the way that um the children are brought up in the society it's really not too far off from as er- areas of the world as it is now mm-hmm. unfortunately it's terrifying actually it, it really is yeah it's horrifying yeah i did like that in this book um their mom was not as helpless as yeah. she came off as in the movie. Because there's right. that scene in the movie where w- after Gale has his whipping in the square for mm-hmm. poaching, that he's brought back to their house because their mom is a healer. But in the movie, Prim has taken on more of that role. And the, there's a scene where their mom can't even get a syringe in a bottle because she's shaking so bad. Yeah. And in the book, that it was not how it happened at all. Like, Prim is taking after her mom, sure, but her mom is still the main healer in that community. And I liked seeing that side, that she went into this deep depressive state when her husband died, naturally, naturally, Mm -hmm. to where it was almost numbing and paralyzing, which, of course, of course, she lost her husband, but she was able to kind of slowly recover from that and still help those around her. I liked that side of the story. Yeah, definitely. I really like the fact with the mom that in this book, Katniss is like, I understand where she was at now. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad for being so mad at her because I didn't understand previously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you get that, that kind of sense of an apology between them an unspoken apology between them. And I just, yet again, I feel like that's something that's not touched on in in the movie either. And it was, I like that relationship a lot more here than anywhere else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. I think it was a lot, I think it was, Katniss was a lot harsher on her mom in the movies. Because I know that when she first initially leaves for the Hunger Games in the first book, she tells her, you know, you can't you can't leave again. You can't do that to Prim. But I feel like that was a constant thing that was brought up through book one and book two, where it was just like, well, what is Prim going to do? Because my mom can't can't help her and do all this and this. But in the book, it was not it was not like that. So I appreciated, like you said, I liked that side of the relationship. It was much more understanding. Yeah. Than just. Yeah, my mom. My mom is sick, and she can't. She can't help. She can't do anything. There definitely was like mental growth from everyone. I feel like it was much more character development. Totally. So, like on the on the emotional stance. Well, and as I was as I was reading this book, I got in 
to like part two and I looked at Jess. I was like, I am more than halfway through this book and they're not even in the games yet. I thought that was weird too. And I mean, I just, I was very impressed that the first half of this book kept me so entertained without having that that pull of the game well yeah because it was a slower pace compared to the first book because the first book you're in the first chapter and you're already going to the reaping right so you're already you're already in it to where she's volunteering for her sister by the end of chapter one yeah yeah and this is a lot slower pace but i mean you're right it was every every page i was like okay what's what's coming what's coming definitely differently paced for sure Mm -hmm. and it i think it speaks volumes that as you're reading this, it's still a page turner, even though you know what's going to happen. Well, and I think part of that is because, I mean, it, I saw it a little bit in book one, but in Catching Fire, um, I definitely, even though the movie it is very similar to the book, there are definitely so many little extra bits Um of additional details or additional dialogue or inner monologue or something that goes on that, that you didn't get before. So it's nice to just keep getting those little extra bits. You know what I mean? I honestly think I prefer the books over the movies because Katniss doesn't always seem pissed off at the world like Jennifer Lawrence portrayed her. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. I like her character more in the books. Written. Yeah. Yeah. She seems more of a real human being that has like, emotion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like she's actually feeling things and I don't know. And maybe she was portraying this, you know, statue of a person in the books and we just were seeing more of her thoughts behind it too. Because she did say multiple times about how she had to put on a face for the cameras. I get that. Mm-hmm. But there were many moments where she wasn't in, the cam- in front of a camera. And it was still weird. So, yeah. I mean, I, I really think that the way we we've built these characters in the books is just, uh, it's astounding compared to kind of just the two-dimensional way we see everybody in the movies. Yeah. Remind me, so there was that that scene where they're at the party at President Snow's house. Was that his house? Something like that. They're in the Capitol at the, this party on their victory tour. And the new gamekeeper, whose name I don't remember. Plutarch. Plutarch, right? Flashes his watch and says that... He has a meeting that starts at midnight, and there's a Mockingjay on the watch. Yep. Was that in the movie? No. No. I didn't think so either, because I thought that that was a cool little, like, Easter egg that was then, like, brought back up later. Yeah. About, you know, the whole arena being a clock, and that was kind of his way of hinting at it. And then the Mockingjay was just like, okay, hey, like, we're doing this thing. And then him being part of the rebellion. Right, yeah. So I didn't think that that was part of the movie. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie. But I thought that was a nice little, nice little touch. Well, and I mean, to me, it's so funny because Katniss is so clueless throughout this whole book about just kind of the things that are going on around her. 
Because even when she meets, uh, is it Bonnie and Twill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, they hold up a, a like a cracker or something with a Mockingjay on it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, like there's these multiple <laughs> things that like that pop up and she just thinks, oh, it's just because I won the games and I wore this pin. Yeah. I was like, okay, but then if you look at the other rumors of all these things happening and how when they went to District 11, you know, and she sees this man get executed and then here's two more gunshots after that. Yeah. You know? And then here's about the re- rebellion happening in eight. I don't know. To me, I I don't know how she didn't put the pieces together. Yeah, piecing things together. <laughs> but being like, hey, this might be because of me. Keep or even, in mind, she's 17. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And, I, and even like in the games when she's like, there's that moment where she's having this like epiphany of all these people that are saving PETA. And Joanna says... When she gets BT and, oh, what's the other one's name? Wyrus. Yeah, Wyrus out from um, the jungle when they had that blood storm rain or whatever. And she goes, I got them out for you. Yeah. I got them out for you. And then she starts piecing together, well, this person sacrificed their life for PETA. Yeah. Finnick stepped in front of a knife and took it in the leg for PETA. You know, all these things. Finnick saved PETA's life when he hit the force field. Yep. And she's like, I just don't understand why they're, why they're doing it. I was like, I don't know. I'd, I'd be asking more questions. But she's 17. But, I mean, also in the game, she can't ask questions because they're constantly under... Monitored right. surveillance. And I think, you know, I, everybody plays it so well in these games on on keeping everything away from them. And it's to me, it's so funny because it's it's the complete opposite of the way that Katniss and Hamish have handled everything before this point. Yeah, it used to be her scheming, and now it's everybody scheming against her for her. Right. Which I think is or, why they did it because they knew that that would not fly for her. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, like her being put above everyone else, like no matter the cost, save Katniss. Yeah. Well, and having to keep her in the dark would have been like an absolute because. Uh, yeah otherwise she wouldn't have gone along with anything well i think that's hard too because at the end of this book we learn that there was this big big plan with all of these districts that there was going to be this massive breakout of the victors from the arena Mm -hmm. like that was the plan but you still have to go in with this under wraps and play the game yeah otherwise people are going to be suspicious like you said and they're going to create things to happen so people will die yeah so even though you know that all these districts are in on this, because the victors had to have known that this was a plan, the stakes, other than Katniss and Peta, obviously. Yeah, the stakes were really high for all of the victors. Right, because right. the plan was to get as many of them out as possible. Yep. But you still have to play. Mm-hmm. That sucks. <laughs> well, and that's why they pick and choose who, who they get to team up with, right? And why they chose 11... Uh, three and four right is because we know that rebellions are taking place there yeah and oh yeah those make the most sense to pull out and keep alive i mean why keep one and two yeah even though you know uh dad from blue mountain state played (laughs) (laughs) 
do you think in terms of the rebellion it would have been just as effective to let her die during these games and become a martyr be like because i mean she she literally just won the games it's got to make sense to everybody except the people in the capital that this is the capital playing the game of she screwed up now we're making her go back so if they let her die in the game, she becomes a martyr for the rebellion anyway. So why go through all the trouble of of saving her and my thought is no that it like that wouldn't have gone as well. It wouldn't be as effective, etc. because it's like Katniss was finally like in the Hunger Games, it was like she was finally somebody that stepped out of line after nobody ever stepping out of line and she finally did and was able to make a defiance and so i think that if just less than a year later they just let her die or do whatever i don't i don't think it would have kept everybody's momentum as well as it would if you know had they keep her alive and have her keep the rebellion going i think i think it would have um disheartened people and disbanded some of those some of that momentum in the rebellious efforts um yeah just because it's like oh she did it but ah, wait no she didn't they're still under the capital's thumb because she could die just as easily you know just right after this I agree with her. That's fine. I, I th- mean, I think that if she would have just died, yeah, because this had to have happened before where someone stepped out of line and then it caused some type of uprising. And as soon as it was shut down, no one tried again exactly. out of fear. But with her still alive, I mean, if she would have died in the first Hunger Games that she was in, then I think the same thing would have happened. Like, sure, it might have sparked a little something, but then I think it would have fizzled out. But because she became a victor, it's not as easy as just, hey, we're going to send someone to your house and, you know, cut you loose because you're causing issues. Mm -hmm. They can't physically do that because she is now, you know, like the sweetheart of the people, just as all the victors are, which is why it was such a big deal with the quarter quill putting all these victors in because everyone loved them so much. They became like the symbol of all these districts. But I think that if they were to just... To keep to keep her alive, I mean, she is not only like a symbol of the rebellion, but also a symbol of hope for them. So if she's still there, they know that there's still hope that she's still fighting. Right. There's still right possibility and opportunity. And I think if she dies, that fizzles out the fire. She's the constant spark to keep it going. Yep. I don't. I just. I don't know that I agree with that. I think that. I think there's an argument to be made both ways because I mean, obviously we know how these books end at this point, but even if she dies in this hunger games, I mean, you're adding a lot more fuel to that fire at that given point in time. But then can you make that argument with all the victors that went into the 75th hunger games? Because when they did their interviews, they all joined hands and showed this big sign of unity that had never been done before that they weren't supposed to be doing. 
But then a bunch of them died in the games. Well, and maybe that's why Hamish and everybody else decided to let some of those victors die. Is because it, it adds that fuel to it. They're like, hey, you know, these people won. They were supposed to be done with this. And maybe that's why we see more of an uprising in certain districts. Speaking of which, I'm going to segue into something else. Because there was a speech that Joanna Mason did in the movies where she just gets so pissed off on the beach and she just goes and she's talking up to whoever is listening and goes, we already won this. Why did you put us back in here? And she just like goes on this tangent about how pissed off she is. She does this in the interview scene too, where she just says that she's angry. Mm -hmm. She's angry. That doesn't happen in the book. Yeah. She doesn't go off on this blurting thing in the interview or out on the beach where she's just pissed saying like no we already did this we won our games we were supposed to just live our life and instead you throw us back in here for some television show it doesn't happen like that in the book and i think i prefer her character more in the movie because she's just angry which she has every right to be i'm i'm not gonna lie i actually prefer her character more in the book because i like that you know you can tell she's angry but she's she's a little more cool calm and collected like it's a little more internal than external yeah no i like the vocal side i think i think her and katniss are a good balance because katniss kind of like keeps it all together and then joanne just kind of like lets it fly like whatever she's thinking she says it i think that katniss when she's in front of a camera she's smarter about what she's saying and joanne just doesn't give a fuck I she's like, I'm mad. I'm done. I think Katniss is only that way because she's told to be, though. Yeah, I <laughs> that's, agree. That's not her um, just demeanor in general. No, but I think that because they know that she would go off. Yeah. And she's got a big target on her back, which everyone knows. But I don't know. I, I liked those moments where Joanna was just pissed off in the movies and just blew up. I will say that my favorite part of this book is finally getting some insight into Hamish's games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like yep, that's like the one big thing we miss from the movies is getting any kind of relevant backstory to this super important character. Yes. And then in the books we get the full length of his games in what, a chapter? Yep. Yeah, it was it's cool. A chapter. It was cool. And why the capital is mad at him. Yeah. And and all that. And I mean to me it just it added something to this series that like I I always knew I wanted but you know wasn't really missing it until you had it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like that tie that the female victor for District 12 when Hamish went was also a friend of their mom's and Madge's mom. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because cause they make comments about Madge's mom always being sick and not feeling well and being in bed and stuff like that. But, you know, that little tie, too. I mean, that was, I don't know. Those little things, just mm-hmm. they do make a difference. And I think there was a lot of things like that in this book. Like I, And I honestly, I really like the wedding dress stuff. I thought that was a nice touch when she had all those wedding dresses sent to her house. Yeah. And... They talked about, you know, having that poll in the capital of choosing your favorite. And that's yeah. what she wore to the interview. 
So I thought that was nice too, because to me it made it more believable. Like, oh hey, like they were, this wedding was a big thing. It yeah. was like the event of the year. Yeah. And the capital really played into that and being more of a social thing. So, but those little, I like those little details, which well, I think is why pushed me more, like you said, to prefer the books over the movies. Yeah. Well, and a lot more, I mean, a lot more minimal than, um, Hamish's stuff and, and the wedding. My, like one of my favorite little, um, bits in the book that you don't get as much detail in, in the movie is just, um, the different interactions and the different descriptions and everything of all the Avoxes mm-hmm. mm. and what that all means and who they are and just the little tidbits here and there of them. Well, I mean, we don't even figure out what an Avox is until the third movie, right? In Yeah, in the movies? Yeah, right. totally. And even in The Hunger Games, we get, you know, an Avox is somebody who has been charged with treason, and now they're suffering indentured servitude. And are mute. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because For, the capital is a mute. horrible, horrible place. Yeah. And so like I remember I remember reading this for the first time and it got to that part where Darius was her Avox uh you know servant essentially and I I was just so upset I you know just because the little just the little another little dig at her a little tie back into mm-hmm. district 12 and I think it does paint a really good picture, just how devious that the Capitol was willing to go and oh, yeah. Snow was re- willing to go to get to her. Because in the movies, you obviously know that that whole thing with Cinna right before she oh, goes up, which is absolutely devastating. But then to have that little bit with Darius, it's just like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. All right. That was done on purpose. All right. That part, when I first read the books with Cinna, gutted me. And then seeing it in movie form was just as bad. Ugh, that that whole part. I love Cinna as a character mm-hmm. so much. And I I was heartbroken with that whole scene. I honestly think they casted his character very well, too, because... Perfectly. He did fantastic. Yes. Fantastic in that, in that spot. Absolutely. What is his name in real life? It's not coming to me. He's a singer. Couldn't tell you. Why the heck are we all blanking? Yeah, this is bad. I feel like the call guys right now. <laughs> Happy birthday, Gunner. <laughs> it's Lenny Kravitz. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Lenny Kravitz killed that role. Absolutely. Um, and I love how in the books, when they're describing Cinna, they're like, you know, he's not like everybody else in the capital he just you know real simple gold makeup on his face and i this is one of the few characters that i don't mind picturing how he's cast in the movie absolutely mm-hmm. i i think he was a perfect fit for the demeanor for the look for everything yeah perfect cast top notch yep yeah, but I just like that character in general in both the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also like seeing more, more of the details about learning their hobbies, 
and how Peta got really into painting mm-hmm. and Katniss was struggling to find hers and all this. But that day that they spent together before they went into the games where they just spent the day together. I really liked that. It was so humane yeah. and real where she was just had her head on his lap. He was playing with her hair and he just goes, I wish we could just freeze this moment and stay here forever. Yeah. Like, oh, Peta. Guys. Peta. <laughs> Come on. But I thought that was a really nice touch because, like, that's stuff you can't... Obviously, they can't put all these details in the movies. I get that. Yeah. But I really like I really like that part, too. Something that we didn't get to see. We do miss out between the movies and the books on that relationship. And I know we've already touched base on it, but... I'm I am rooting more for Peta and Katniss reading the books than I ever did while watching the movies. And I I just enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. Because it doesn't it doesn't feel forced. But I don't like picturing Josh Hutchinson as Peta <laughs> while I'm reading these books. I get what you're saying. That's that's my biggest my biggest pet peeve about watching the movies before the books is I as yeah. I'm reading it I picture the actors as the characters and you know I love Josh Hutcherson I think mm-hmm. he's a great actor mm-hmm. um maybe not so much Jennifer Lawrence I just kind of you know don't care for her acting but it was one of her first too wasn't it right like her first big yeah. I mean, I wasn't a fan of how she, now that I've read more of the character in the book, it could have been done differently. But it is hard because you like, cause that's all you know. Especially with the first book because it was almost verbatim mm-hmm. from like book to movie. So it was kind of hard not to like hear their voices and see their faces. Definitely. So. But yeah, overall. I really enjoyed the book. It was good. I'm a little, I gotta say, I'm a little hesitant going into the next one because I have seen the movies and I know how political they get. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping I don't feel that way about about the books because I like the movies, but they, they were a little a little much on the political side. I understand it based on where the story is going. However, politics is not my thing. I get that. Same. It, it it's gonna be interesting for me reading Mockingjay compared to the movies because in the movies the raid on the Capitol is isn't that big of a part and I'm interested to see how that's written in this this upcoming book. Well, we wanna rate Catching Fire. Yeah, I mean, you guys have anything else you wanna add first or? Amanda? Mm. What did I say for Hunger Games? I don't even remember. Not that we need to compare. (laughs) (laughs) You said a solid four. I'm going to say a 4.3 for this one. I liked this book a lot. This had a lot of different aspects for me that I enjoyed. I'm going to go 4.5. What did I rate Hunger Games? 3.5. 3.5. Yeah, 3.5. you you went low. Because <laughs> didn't we look at him and we're like, really? Yeah. 
Because you originally said three, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And then I bumped it because, I mean, it was a good book. I just, I needed to separate the two out. Um, Man, I really, I did enjoy this read enough that I read it in two days. Um, I think I might give it a 3.9. Cool. All righty. Man, that five-star book is coming. I can feel it. I don't know if it's the series or what, but. <laughs> I, my ratings, I, uh, my rating system might be a little harsh, but I don't, I don't know any book will ever hit a five for me. It would have to just be, I, I don't even know. <laughs> it's got to be Lord of the Rings or nothing. <laughs> Shoot, I don't even know Lord of the Rings would hit that five. I watched The Hobbit today. Nice. I yeah. thought about you. Yeah, watching The Hobbit and the end of June, you know, <laughs> something about it. <laughs> All right, guys, anything else you want to add? No, sir. All right. Well, so there it was. That's our uh, fun discussion about The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Next episode <laughs> will be Mockingjay. I'm actually really looking forward to sitting down and reading that one. So thank you, everybody, for listening to A Court of Books and Booze. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcast on almost all forms of social media. And if you enjoyed what you heard here, make sure to check out the Golden Mojo Entertainment Network of Podcasts. That includes The Call Guys, Golden Image Podcast, The United States of Paranormal, Indiana Cheese Fans, and The Murd Nerds. You can listen to them on all your favorite streaming services and find them on all social media sites. Thanks, everybody. Happy 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday, Gunner. Chico Noise. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) You guys need cool podcast nicknames. We're going to come up with those this week. Read with you later. (laughs) 